I'm Jessica. And I'm David, and this is Passports and Birth Control, a couple's take on international travel. Now today we're talking about Edinburgh. Now this is the second stop in our 90-day trip through Europe where we spend an entire summer. Now no, it's pronounced with a Scottish burr. It's pronounced burra, not burg. If you go around saying Edinburgh, you're going to sound weird, so don't do that. Edinburgh. You can roll your tongue, or if you can't roll your tongue, but just try and say Edinburgh, and you'll you'll at least not sound foolish. You or like a complete tourist. Right. You won't sound like a local, but you'll at least sound a little bit better. Right. Now, we flew directly from Dublin to get to Edinburgh. Now, this was a very short flight, very cheap. We flew on Ryanair, uh, which is that low-cost, high frills. <laughs> high, uh, high, no frills, high limitations. And high thrills, I meant to say, I suppose. Uh-huh. Yeah, so it's 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 a cheap airline, but it'll get you there. But there's all sorts of restrictions. You, you're restricted on your carry-on luggage. You can only have like a tiny luggage. Uh, you have to get there on time. It's kind of like for Americans, it's like flying Southwest, but with even more restrictions. Yes. But it is even cheaper than a Southwest flight. Now, regardless of how you get to Embra, you can fly there from pretty much anywhere. It's got a major international airport. You can also get a train there if you're already in Great Britain. But however you get there, you should definitely get there because it is phenomenal. Now, there's the one time that we're going to recommend where you should stay in Edinburgh if you want an affordable hostel type experience. Right, we stayed in the Castle View Guest House. Now this is at the top of the city. Edinburgh is a hilled city, so you're staying very near the top, very near the castle. You're in the heart of things. It's a great, fantastic location. Highly, highly recommend the Castle View Guest House. Yeah, it's there's a lot of other hostels in Edinburgh, but this one is extremely cheap, and I just love it because it's called Castle View. Because and for a good reason, yeah. you see the castle. Right, it's right there. You get a breakfast. You get it's a pretty big hostel, so you're sharing a lot of space. Now we saved a little bit of money by getting a four-person room, so the two of us and then another couple. Uh, You can get smaller rooms. You can get bigger rooms. The big rooms have 10, 20 people in them, so you can save a lot of money doing that, but there's lots of different options. It's very affordable, and for what little it costs, you get so much. Now, we had the fortune of staying with a lovely, lovely French couple who had the unfortunate... um, circumstance of being unwell. Yeah, so the last day we're in Scotland, I ended up getting sick. And so I like to say that we had paired up with a diseased French couple, which is, Jessica always gets on to me, don't call them that. I do, because they were a lovely set of people. (laughs) The diseased French got me sick. They were not diseased. I was sick on the train ride to London all, all through it. More on that in our next episode. Now, the one holdup with this particular hostel is there is this very long, very steep staircase that you have to walk up to get there. That's because Edinburgh was built on a hill. It was part of the city's original defenses. So be prepared for that very long staircase. So when we got there, this specific staircase, it was one of our big fights that we first had in Europe. We were going from the bus station where the bus from the airport dropped us off, and we're going up to the Castle View Hostel, and we have to go up this enormous staircase. You'll soon discover in Edinburgh that there are stone staircases and stone hills all over the place. It's a city of hills and it's a city of stone, which is delightful to look at, but you really work out your knees while you're up there. 
Yes, so, you do. So we, we're going, we're, we're having our traveling backpacks, which weigh 10, 20 pounds. They're not light. And we're having to go up this staircase and we're going up and we actually don't know if the stairs go to a store or if they go to the street or where they go. It's this mile long staircase. And I'm saying, just keep going. And Jessica's like, if these don't lead to where we need to go, I'm going to throw you down these stairs. So I did say that. <laughs> it was a, a treacherous. Lucky for you, I didn't have to throw you down. Lucky, lucky me, we get to the top and it opens to a tunnel. And there is the Royal Mile where we see the castle up ahead. Now that castle is what the city is really built around. It's the key fortification. It's an ancient uh, fortress that has been expanded and it evolved to the current structure. Now, we it started out with these old Roman fortresses, old fortifications, and it grew up to medieval castle parts that are still there. You can tour them. And then it got all the way up to the 1700s and 1800s and even modern World War II era fortifications designed to protect the heart of the city. Now the castle had very had seen various sieges and assaults and so you get to see the defenses in various different stages. It's definitely a very worthwhile place to go there. In fact, they actually had Americans uh, that were prisoners of war from the American Revolution that were kept in Edinburgh Castle. And you can see they've recreated the sort of prison area because they know a lot of Americans like to go there, so you can see that. They actually shoot off an artillery piece at 1 o'clock every day from the castle battlements uh, to signal the time to people. Now, when you're in Edinburgh Castle, you have to see the crown jewels of Scotland. These are the jewel-encrusted sword, crown, orb of the Scottish king or queen. Uh, they're the royal emblems of authority, much like any other crown jewels. Now, what's interesting is they're actually the second oldest existing crown jewels in Europe. They're not the oldest that were ever made, but they're the second oldest that are still around. The first oldest are in Budapest. They're the Hungarian crown jewels. More on that later. Yeah, we'll get to that as well. So it was nice we got to see the second oldest and the oldest crown jewels. But in the crown jewel exhibit, there is also what's called the Stone of Scone or the Stone of Destiny. Now, if you see this, it's this limestone block with these iron rings on the side, and it's sitting right there in the exhibit next to the crown jewels. Why is this significant? Well, every king and queen of Great Britain has been crowned sitting on this stone. They stick the stone underneath the, the, the chair where you get crowned. And so it's an emblem of royal power. It was legendarily said to have been the stone that Jacob rested his head upon, uh, biblical Jacob, and it was taken to Scotland from the Holy Land. And ever since then, Scottish kings and queens were all crowned upon it. Well, when Scotland fell to the English, the English king showed up to Scotland and said, I have heard about this stone of scone or stone of destiny that you have. Please give it to me. So he went to the monastery where it was kept. And the monks, legend has it, did not actually give him the stone of scone. They gave him the stone cap to their latrine, which is why it is a limestone block with rings on it because it's meant to be lifted and uh, removed and put back on a toilet. Limestone not being native to the Middle East, as our geo geology listeners will know. Right, and so if does this mean that it was a fake 
from the Middle East, or does this mean that every king and queen of England from now from then on was crowned on a crapper stone? So <laughs> whether this is true or not, it's an interesting story because legend has it that if Scotland ever regains its independence, then the true stone of scone will be revealed, and then all future kings and or queens of Scotland will be crowned on the real stone of scone. So whether it's true or not, you can at least see an important historical artifact in Edinburgh Castle. Now, the Edinburgh Castle marks the start of the Royal Mile, and at the other end, it's punctuated by the Hollywood House Palace. Now, this is a very steep stretch of road that, again, it's just part of the hilly nature of Edinburgh. Along this Royal Mile, you have St. Giles Cathedrals, you have bars, you have monuments. It's really the tourist hub spot. Right. It's everything you want to see. Well, not everything you want to see. A great deal of what you want to see in Edinburgh. If you orient your trip to Edinburgh around the Royal Mile, you'll pretty much have that as the center of gravity. You can stay in a hostel near it, whether it's the Castle View Hostel or something else. That's really the heart of the tourists of the city. And it makes Edinburgh very walkable to stay in this distance which I know some people may not want to walk as much well, as we I did. I personally wouldn't want to drive in Edinburgh. It's so narrow and stony, and I would be worried about losing you know, my car by crashing into a stone wall somewhere. It's really not meant for modern vehicles. It was built with small, narrow roads really before vehicles became a thing. Right, and then in the outer areas of the city, there are certainly roads that you can travel upon, but in that Royal Mile heart of the city it's really comfortable to be a pedestrian and really safe to be a pedestrian so it's actually very nice again you'll work out your knees uh, but it's quite comfortable to walk upon and the great thing about walking edinburgh is meeting the scottish people right not as quite as friendly as irish not i would say very friendly oh, not definitely. discouraging in any way but the irish definitely beat the laid the standard of of friendliness and outgoingness. Scottish are certainly very friendly, but don't expect everyone to be the Irish. Right. Now, I didn't get to experience this personally because the Queen was in residence, but the Hollywood House Palace is a great place to tour. She just happened to be in residence while we were there, and so because she was in residence, we weren't able to tour Hollywood Palace. Right, so you can't go into an actual royal residence if the royals are actually there, but Hollywood House does have some art galleries you can exhibit there. We just didn't have a chance to go there, but if you're there and the queen happens to not be there, go in there, it's a great exhibit, so we are told. Now, one of the great things that Scotland is known for is Scottish whiskey, or as we know it in America, scotch. Call it Scottish whiskey when you're there. That's the, what the locals call it. If you call it scotch, you'll be seen as a tourist. So just be careful about that Scottish whiskey. Now, Scottish whiskey is made in distilleries all over Scotland. There's a variety of types, but Edinburgh is a great place to taste scotch because it's a significant sized city and the distilleries themselves aren't actually that fun to tour. To be to be honest, I've not we've not actually done that, but that's because we've heard from people who have. Well, that's what locals have told us. Right. They said, don't go to the distilleries. Just stay here in Edinburgh. You get all their whiskey that's going to come here. And these, these are remote locations that really aren't designed for tourists. So if you want to go on a scotch-tasting trip, Edinburgh is a great place to go there. Now, when you approach your Scottish whiskey, approach it with an open mind. When I first went to Scotland, I did not like the Isla style of whiskey. Now, before we get into this, uh, there are four different types of Scottish whiskey. There's Isla, which is the peaty, hefty one. There is Highland, which might be what you typically expect with a scotch. And Lowland, which is a little bit more flavorful than a Highland. And then you've got this Speyside, which has a little bit more of a floral, tropical, sweet taste to it. Now, 
there are all sorts of different expert qualities and all of these things. My personal preference is for Isla Scotch. Now again, I didn't like that one when we first went to Scotland, but I tried it there and it's been my favorite ever since. Love that smoky, peaty taste. And if you really love Scotch, whether it's a Highland, Lowland, Speyside, or an Isla, go to the Bow Bar. Now again, we don't like to make specific recommendations because we like to have you get a customized trip. We want you to experience what we do, which is finding things on your own. But I can't recommend this place enough. It's a dive bar type establishment. The we When we asked the people at the Castleview Hostel where we should go to try a bunch of varieties of Scottish whiskey, they told us to go this place, but they actually said it's a kind of an old person bar, which just really got me excited. It's like a bunch of old people drinking whiskey in Scotland. Sounds great. So we go there, and what's really fascinating is this place only serves Scottish whiskey in Glen Cairn glasses, which are these wine glass type shaped glasses that are specially designed to enhance the experience of drinking a Scottish whiskey. Go there, you can find a variety of Scottish whiskeys. You sit there in these long booths crammed up against next, uh, a bunch of people, and you get just the whiskey poured without anything in it. And don't ask for anything. Don't ask to put anything in it. You will be kicked out. I went to go get a glass of water because I had been trained if you put a drop of water in your scotch, it actually enhances the flavor a little bit. So I asked the lady behind the counter for a glass of ice water and a straw so that I could do this. She almost kicked me out when I asked for water. She did. So be very careful. If you like scotch, this is the place to experience it. But make sure you treat scotch like the Scottish people do. Treat it with great care and affection and let the whiskey provide all the experience and flavor. And go to the bow bar. Now, if you're like me and you love Harry Potter, you cannot go to Edinburgh and miss the Elephant House. This is where J.K. Rowling conceived of and began writing Harry Potter. So it's this little cafe. It's a little nondescript. You don't see much of the Harry Potter influence until you go into the restroom. Right. If you go in the bathroom, the, the men's room has all these things like Voldemort was framed and all these funny little things and, and oh, just confessions of... It's, it's a weird thing to say, go to the bathroom when you're in the elephant house, but go. There's almost a shrine to Harry Potter in both of the restrooms. Now, again, she started writing it there on a cocktail napkin. Now, these napkins are very nondescript, very plain, just plain white squares. I brought one back for me. I brought one back for my sister. You can't tell by looking at it where it came from. Yeah, it'd be I interesting know. if they got personalized and, and, and branded napkins because I think that they could sell them because the idea that you go... I went to where, where J.K. Rowling first wrote down Harry Potter on a napkin, and I brought a napkin from that place. I don't know if they're neat to anybody else, but they're neat to us. Now, what else you need to do while you're at the Elephant House is go out back to the cemetery. There you'll find graves with very familiar names like Tom Riddle. I believe there's a McConaughey grave there. Right, and the town, don't just, just don't vandalize the Tom Riddle grave. Seriously, people, people are laid to rest here. Don't be a tool. So you can see this cemetery from the back windows of the Elephant House. Perhaps this helped inspire J.K. Rowling. The author of Frankenstein also lived in Edinburgh. Edinburgh is a city of authors. Perhaps this, this cemetery inspired Frankenstein in some way. Uh, but regardless of who inspired what, or the city might have inspired all of them to some extent, it is a city of authors and you should respect the city, but also dive into the city. You can walk around this ancient cemetery and see all the graves and see the ambiance. There's some history to that as well. 
And the best part of that cemetery is actually what happens at night. Along the Royal Mile, there are meeting places for ghost tours. You can take them in one of two directions that we would recommend. You can take one that tours the cemetery itself, uh, where they talk about the graves and the history of the Scottish people that were oppressed and put in mass graves by the English. That's a fascinating tour, very creepy because you're in a cemetery at night. But we actually took the second option, which I actually think is, is a better option, touring the vaults. Now, as I said, Edinburgh is a very hilly city. It's been that way for a long time, but some of the streets are at a lower level than others. And when you're building modern roads and bridges, oftentimes you build over old parts of the town. And so there's this old part of the town that was completely covered up, an entire street full of shops and houses and everything covered up when they built an old bridge. Now, this isn't a recent thing. This is a hundred or so years ago. So you're talking Victorian era people that suddenly their homes are gone. And so they have become a passage in time. Right. So you've got this vault covering up and sealing up this street. Now, back when it was first built, they didn't really care about the welfare of their citizens all that much. And so a lot of people said, hey, look, there's a place for me to go. It's covered up. It's sealed. The cops aren't going to go in there. So it became a very rough place. Uh, there was a story about an individual who shows up, was treated nicely and brought there and said, you can sleep here. It's safe. We know that you don't have a home. You don't have a job, but we'll get you a job tomorrow. Everything's going to be fine. And in the middle of the night, they would poison or kill the person and then sell their body uh, to the doctors to be used for scientific experiments. Again, the author of Frankenstein lived in this city, so there's some inspiration to go around. So you've got a bad place already, lots of violence and a lot of crime. And then there was a fire in the city and lots of people were trapped in these vaults and so lots of people died. And so you've got just a horrible backstory, and then to top it all off, they sealed these vaults. They built a door, shut it, and didn't let anyone in for well over a century. And then recently, a bunch of ghost hunters started, hey, let's look in there and see what happens. The story goes that some sort of witch hunter or demon hunter went in there and sealed away a demon. Whether you believe that or not, it's certainly a creepy place to go and if you don't turn on the lights and just walk around with someone telling these stories you walk around these vaulted stone ceilings in the dark and you look in rooms and they say that in this room there were 50 people that they all got cooked like it was a big oven in this fire that was raging above and here's this circle of stones that the demon hunter came in and they say that in this circle of stones is the demon that that person trapped and if you dare to break the circle of stones, you will damage the barrier and the demon might get out. Of course, David hopped in immediately. Yeah, there was a pause and I said, well, I'm going to jump in. So I jumped into the stone barrier. So I hope for the people of Edinburgh that I did not release a demon. Uh, I apologize if I did, but come on, it's just a stone circle. You can't tell me not to jump in there. Jessica, however, stayed on the other side of that stone circle, yet she claims she doesn't believe in ghosts. And you claim you do, yet you're messing with them. I'm scared of them, but I, okay, I'm afraid of ghosts, and that's why I'm messing with them. And yet your lack of interest in messing with them, and yet still fear of jumping in that stone circle is interesting. What can I say? Now, there are other things to do in the vicinity of Edinburgh. One is Loch Ness. Of course, we've all heard of Nessie. It's a great distance away. You have to take a bus, or you can drive there if you want. 
Uh, I actually did this on my own uh, a few years ago. I studied abroad in Britain, so this was actually the second time I'd been to Edinburgh. And when I was in Loch Ness, which was this long bus ride, if you've well got a well before we met, well before we met, if you've got a spare spare day, it's a full day trip. Uh, you know, when you get to Loch Ness, there's not much to do other than look at it. Maybe you can take a boat ride. So I decided I'd go for a swim. So I jumped into Loch Ness, which was freezing cold. And I didn't actually have a change of clothes, so I had to go buy a towel at a local shop and use it to towel off. So I ended up having to ride the bus ride home wet and showing up with a bit of Loch Ness uh, still with me when I returned to Edinburgh later that night. Now besides Loch Ness and these various day trips, you also have art museums, you have statues and monuments. Their city is full of monuments, including one that wasn't even finished. They call Edinburgh's Shame, which is on an adjacent hill to the Castle Hill. It looks kind of like the Lincoln Memorial. You can go there. There's a nice park. There's endless monuments. Everywhere you go, there's some author that has a statue. There's some writer. There's some other... Historical event, historical person. The city is chock full of it. Well, when you have a place as old and storied as Edinburgh, of course you have all these wonderful monuments to see. That's it. This is a city you cannot miss. It's a city of stone and hill. It's a city of imagination and fancy, of dark and grim and light and cheerful. There are so many sights to see in Edinburgh, but I think my favorite thing about Edinburgh is just being in Edinburgh. Right. The Scottish whiskey, the food, the people. Whatever you do, make sure you go. Right. So, this has been Passports and Birth Control. Don't forget your passport. Don't forget your birth control. Now, of course, the drink we're going to talk about with Scotland is Scotch whiskey. Now, again, there are four styles. Islas, Speysides, Highlands, Lowlands. The one that we have today is an Isla. It's called Isla Storm. Now, I don't know how commonly available this one is in the States. Someone we know in, over in Europe actually brought it back for us. Now, we can't recommend this one highly enough. If you can find it, definitely go for it. Now, you're going to prepare this very simply. You just take a Glen Cairn glass. Now, again, a Glen Cairn glass is shaped a little like a red wine glass with a very wide bulb at the bottom, but then it narrows to a very fine taper. Now, that taper allows you to, when you take a drink, get your nose right down by the whiskey so you get that full bouquet of it, and that really helps your mouth process the complex flavors of a scotch whiskey. So you're going to pour just a little bit in there, about an ounce. If you want, you can add a drop of water. With the Isla Storm, you really don't need it. You're going to swirl it a bit around the glass, which that wide bulb allows you to do, and that's going to help liven up the flavors. And then you take a sip, you inhale as you do through your nose, and there's your Scottish whiskey. Isla Storm cannot recommend it enough. I can't have it now. As soon as our second child arrives, you can bet I will be pouring myself a good pour into a Glencairn glass. <laughs> <laughs>